The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. People, breaking news on the Ben Jarofsky Show. <laughs> Our host, Ben Jarofsky, has a camera. Uh, wee woo, yeah! <laughs> Rock and roll. Got it from Best Buy. Yes, it is true, Kathy. Ben will have to put clothes on now. Okay. All right. You you hit your you hit the table and now your camera's messed up. Push it down. Push the camera down. Okay. Oh yeah, I can't hit the. Oh my goodness. Uh, what a good looking guy. <sighs> we are going to be making some adjustments in 2021. For instance, every time Ben hits the table, the camera goes out of place. I, I don't know if I can hit the table anymore. I, I think you could. We can make that. We can make that you like know, a reoccurring thing. Ben, please put down. Okay. <laughs> That's true. We're slowly working up to the point where the whole show will be uh, on video, right, D? The whole show. Whoa! Right, put look. that in your pipe and smoke it, huh, big guy? How about we, uh, you know, uh, take care of today's show, Ben Jarofsky's show, for what? Tuesday, January fifth, huh? All right, one step at a time. All right, live stream chat. Let me know uh, what you think here. Uh, make sure, let me know how the audio sounds, all that, because we're going through some adjustments here. So let us know, and we will power through, and the Ben yes, Show will live on in 2021. Your Ben Show for Tuesday, January 5th is brought to you by the Chicago Reader. Chicago, oh, that's Ben's notebook. He just put it in the camera right there. Wait, are you looking at your notebook right now? Is that how you... It, oh, wow. So... So for the first time, I'm seeing Ben on camera, guys. So I thought all of a sudden I just saw this big, giant green notebook. Like, what the hell? Dude, I haven't seen myself. I haven't really looked at myself in about a year. I'm one pasty dude. I haven't got any sunshine in a long time. I look like a marshmallow. I got to get out there and get some sunshine. It's a freaking pandemic. Yeah, and it's January, so... Not a whole lot of sunshine to get. Yeah. I got sunshine on a cloudy day. Chicago Reader, take notes. New podcast, One Pasty Dude. Just saying. It could be a new spinoff podcast. The Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. Subscribe. Check it out for all things there is to know about the city of Chicago. Check out the Chicago Reader. Support them. It's a pandemic. Damn it. If you like the Reader, if you got some cash, throw it over. All right. And today's Ben Jarofsky show is also brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of labor. Oh, you have a song of the day. I, we've been g- gone so long, I didn't know what the hell to do after that. So, okay. Uh, you do have a song of the day. We're going to keep that going in 2021, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I love singing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so, your song of the day comes from Frank. We're going to, if, yeah, I like this song. At first, I thought it was Garth Brooks, but no, it's Bruce Springsteen, Thunder Road. Take my hand, thunder road. The screen door slam. Yeah, 
Once again, live stream chat audience, let us know how that audio sounds. The Ben Jarowski Show starts now. It is Tuesday, January 5th. And yeah, live from my apartment in his attic in 2021, this is The Ben Jarowski Show. Today on the program, Mr. City Council, Dave Glowatz. And now your host, not Mr. City Council. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Telephone Trump Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D. Yeah, great holiday. Yeah, yeah went well. Yeah, went well, longer than usual. Did Feel it. like I'm coming out of a hibernation, like a bear, a big old Benny bear, a I big old pale, like, a big old pale Benny bear. Yeah, I'm a, definitely a polar bear. Uh, slept late, went to bed late. I was up late watching movies. I know you're thinking, D. Whoa, what's the difference from your usual existence? That's a good point, young man. I hadn't thought of that. By the way, a little embarrassed by how much I loved a Sylvie's Love, old-fashioned love story, which I've watched um, uh, about one and a half times. Don't leave him! Sylvie, stay! He's a good man! A little embarrassed by how much I loved the deep, weeping buckets of tears. Wonderful soundtrack. I urge everybody to check out Sylvie's Love. Great flick. Great old-fashioned love story. Also saw Soul. I want to thank Frank. Thank you, Frank. You're the man. Got me access to Disney. And, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I <laughs> Wait, Frank, the Frank who gave me access to a Chicago Sun-Times account? Yeah. <laughs> what were we doing without Frank? <laughs> Dude, we are so, we are just bottom of the barrel, buddy. I just got to say that, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I liked all the parts of Soul that had to do with, like, when the guy was a jazz player. But man, when he went up to heaven and everything, I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, Death to 2020. Very funny. I urge everybody to watch it. It's on Netflix. It's a funny flick. And Leslie um, Jones is hilarious. I'm just going to get that out there, okay? Oh, she's, she's in it? Yeah, she's in it. And she's very, very funny. Oh, okay. man. I watch her on Supermarket Sweep. She is pretty funny. I'm warming up to Leslie Jones. No, Leslie Jones is awesome in Supermarket Sweep. By the way, what what's the name of the actress? Help me, now you'll know this. Uh, who When The Simpsons started, it was on her show. The, the trivia question is for you, young man. I know. I'm trying to think. What was the question? I think uh, it was worded poorly. <laughs> the, question, the question was, who cut your hair? No. Uh, the question was, when The Simpsons started... When the Simpsons was the first episodes of the Simpsons were on this woman's TV show. I can't remember her oh, name. That's uh, Tracy Allman. Allman. There She's we go. She's hilarious in this movie. Uh, Death to 2020. Uh, Tracy Allman. Very good. Very funny. Uh, and Hugh Grant's funny in it. Very. I'm telling you, folks, go see this movie. Anyway. I woke up Sunday to discover our president, Donald Trump. Yeah, that President Donnie. President Donnie had attempted a coup. I call it a telephone coup. Dude got on the phone with Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State in Georgia, and asked him to find the votes that he, Donald Trump, needed to win Georgia. Uh, let's quote the president directly on this one, D. Quote, so look, uh, I want to do it. My Trump accent 
just sucks, D. Yeah, let's, let's just throw that out. Let's just, just let's into no, the new year. Let's just not do that anymore, huh? Uh, Dennis, why don't we edit that uh, out of the podcast? <laughs> Will do. <laughs> you never, never, ever notice, folks, how he edits all his mistakes out, but he keeps mine in. Oh, that guy, he's a slick one, that Dennis. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes, here's the president's quote. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have because we won the state. Now, Dennis, I know I have some issues. I know I've talked about this. I have dyslexia, and I'm an obsessive uh, personality. I understand this. I'm very open about my strange, bizarre behavior. You're about to see an example. No, you're fine. You're cool. You're good. (laughs) Okay, thank you. You're normal. You're normal, right? (laughs) Hey, can we get a porta potty update in 2021? You're a normal Uh, guy. Hold on on a second. Hold on. Hey, Uh, get only one in a porta potty at a time. How many times do I got to tell you? Yeah, but there's three people in there that are smoking reefer. For our new listeners, uh, <laughs> Ben has an alley outside his window there in, uh, in his attic, and there's a porta potty still. A lot of people didn't believe it. And they come over and they go, oh my God, there really is a porta potty out here. Yeah, think I'm making that stuff up? Huh? Think I'm Donald Trump? Just make stuff up? Our think I'm Ted Cruz? Just make stuff up? Uh, you know? Our first 2021 porta potty update. <laughs> well, it's breaking news of the porta potty. Anyway, so yeah, I'm a pretty obsessive guy and I get hang up some things. So it's like that sentence didn't work. I remember D reading it. Like when the story broke, I said I woke up Sunday, but I actually think I saw the story on Saturday first. I don't know. The whole weekend's a blur because essentially I didn't sleep until like five in the morning. So I can't remember when I was up and when I was not up. But the point is, it just didn't make sense. I just want to find 11,780 votes, which is more one more than we have because we won the state. Now, I'm just, I think it's I, I understand it. I looked this up. The, he lost Georgia. By 11,779 votes. So if they, quote unquote, find 11,780 votes, then he wins by one. By the way, that's so funny. The Secretary of State, uh, President Trump, does not find votes. He counts votes. It's like, oh, can I look for votes? Hey, I got some votes here in the, under the couch. Well, we'll just throw that in the Trump category. <laughs> so what he, I guess what Trump should have said is, uh, that uh, I want you to find eleven thousand seven hundred eighty votes, which is more one more than we will uh, that we have to have. I guess then that's one more that we need. I don't know. Dad, I gotta work on that. Didn't make any sense. I know, I know. I have issues, ladies and gentlemen. I'm like focused on the wrong part of the story. I'm focused on Trump's misspeaking as opposed to Trump's misdeeds. That is pretty outrageous. Never seen anything like it. I've been following Illinois politics and Chicago politics for years. It's so outrageous, ladies and gentlemen, that the Chicago Tribune's editorial board felt compelled to take a stand. Yes, yes, yes. It must be that close to treason because those wimps crawled out from under their desks and actually wrote something vaguely critical of MAGA Man. And, of course, in typical cowardly Tribune, Form first, they wait a day or two just to see if the issue is going to be around for a while. Hmm, let's see if we can avoid this thing. Nope, two days later, and it's still out there. I guess we got to take a stand. You know, get their little fingers in the air, see which way the wind's blowing. 
And then, of course, they bury it. It's not even the lead editorial. It's like when they had their uh, endorsement of Joe Biden. They knew they could not. In the city of Chicago, in the county of Cook, some of the most bluest areas in the world, most democratic areas in the country, they knew they could not, with a shred of credibility, endorse Donald John Trump with all his crimes, with all his misdemeanors, with all his just savage attacks on the Constitution. They knew they could not, with any credibility, endorse Donald Trump while they're just thumping the desk with moral indignation at the crimes of Michael Joseph Madigan. They knew they couldn't do that. If they were going to make such a big deal about what Michael Madigan's up to or what Kim Fox is up to, which pale in comparison to what Donald Trump is doing, they had to take a stand on Donald Trump. So what did they do? They endorsed Biden, but they like put it in the baby editorial beneath a giant editorial about Pat O'Brien. Dude, I'm the only one in uh, Chicago D who remembers that it was Patrick O'Brien who ran against Kim Fox. The Tribune made a ringing endorsement of Patrick O'Brien. That's our guy. It was like the Tribune was saying four more years of Kim Fox is more dangerous to the country than four more years of Donald Trump. Anyway, back to their editorial. The editorial today denouncing Donald Trump, which they buried beneath an editorial have something to do with Afghanistan. <laughs> what a newspaper. They write a headline. Here's their headline. We recognize Trump's malfeasance. We're from Illinois. God, folks, I have my issues with Illinois Democrats, Chicago Democrats. I have my issue with Illinois Republicans, too. But I do not know one Illinois politician Republican or Democrat, whoever tried anything so boldly outrageous and illegal as calling an election official and asking him to change the votes to win an election that he actually lost, to find the votes. Blago never did anything like that. George Ryan never did anything like that. Eddie Verdoliak, as sleazy as he is, never did anything like that. Ed Burke as corrupt as he is, never did anything like that. See, that's the problem right there, though. I know what you think. Fuck up, man. Why do why you care about the Tribune editorial? That's why all my friends, my, uh, my newspaper friends tell me this. I'll leave their names out. I don't want to embarrass them. They always tell me, why do you care about the Tribune editorial? Because I look to them to take a freaking stand for what's right. And if the people who are supposed to take stands for what's right are too chicken shit to take a stand, then what kind of country are you going to have? If you're only going to pick one side to be all righteous over, if you're only going to criticize Madigan, and you're only going to criticize Pritzker every now and then, and you're only going to, who else do they criticize? Oh, Kim Fox. You're up in arms about Kim Fox? Why aren't you going to take a stand against Donald Trump? Man, that should have bold headlines across the front page. Let everybody know where they stand in this. I'm not sure, D. I think about this. What's worse? Having a demonic, demented tyrant as a president? Or having mainstream Republicans hiding under their desk because they're too afraid to stand up to them? Anyway, I'm moving on. Got another, got another serious crisis in the works. The Georgia senatorial election, the fate of the country once more in the hands of Georgia. David Ferris, our dear friend, predicted this months ago. 
you know, at one point he was uh, he was he was trying to be really confident. Our good friend David Ferris and predict Democratic victories in the Senate. But he had a moment of doubt there. Remember, he goes, you know, I got a feeling it's going to come down to Georgia. Well, his moment of doubt was the was right. It's coming down to Georgia. And, D, I got to see it to believe it. I still have a hard time believing that the good citizens of Georgia have got it together enough to elect not one, but two Democrats in one election. That's what it's going to take, two Democrats. Warnock has to win, and Ossoff has to win, and then the Dems uh, take control of the Senate. So really, that's asking so much. But, you know, looks like the voters in the South are going to have to save our republic because the chicken shits up north are too scared to take a stand. We got a great show today. Yeah. All right. Fix your camera. Fix your camera, please. Push the camera down. (laughs) I did. Hold on. There we go. All right. There we go. We're back. How's it going? Oh, God, am I a good looking guy. Anyway. (laughs) I just got to work with what I I was given, D. Okay. You know what I'm saying? We've got a great show today. Hey, put your Jay camera down just a little more. Uh, camera down a little more. Oh, no, no, that's ridiculous. Just a little more. Okay. Oh, okay, not uh, not that. Okay, up a little bit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh. There he is. All right. Uh, all right, there I am. You happy now? There we go. We can see you. Well, I can see uh, you. Yeah, you can see me. My guy, and Dave Clark asked me, oh, my God, that's you, Ben. Baby steps to that moment, D, when... The show will be uh, videotaped. That's our uh, goal. Videotaped, yes, because we're jumping back to the (laughs) early 90s. Get your camcorders. Videotaped, yes. This is my coworker, guys, in the 21st century. (laughs) I deserve that one. Uh, Whoa, what was that? Hold on, let me just fix this. Okay. You you surprised me with the video. I I had no clue we were going to be on video. I just sent him the Google Meet and boom, the video came up. Boy, I wish we would have had a little pre-show on this. Why? I wanted you to be surprised. That was the whole point. If you recall last week, I kept saying, D, next year, my New Year's resolution, I'm going to have a video. I'm going to have this camera. I'm going to get a new monitor, I said. And you were like scoffing. Yeah, right. Heard that before. And then so I said, I'm going to make it a surprise. And sure enough, he was like, whoa. Bad idea. I'm the producer. (laughs) It would have been great to have a little meeting. All right, let's fix the adjustments here. All right. But I see where you're going. I, I see where you're going. Happy to do it. That was a surprise. We'll work with it yeah. today. Yeah, we'll work with it today. Uh, we'll have our uh, crack team of production assistants coming over to my house after the show to really. Uh... So anyway, great show. Dave Glowatz uh, will be here. Always one of our favorite segments where he uh, breaks down the uh, city council meeting. Listen, as, as, as things are just so horrendous uh, out in the world with Donald Trump. Uh, attempting uh, to uh, strong arm the Secretary of State of Georgia uh, into finding non-existent votes so that he, Trump, uh, can be declared the victor of a race that he lost. But by the way, if that's not an impeachable offense, if that's not like a, a crime, I don't know what is. Anyway, uh, so we're dealing with that in the world. We're dealing with the fact that democracy as we know it is sort of hinging on the Georgia Senate race. Um, There's always nice to know that my beloved Chicago City Council uh, will entertain and enlighten us 
about local politics. It doesn't seem as serious when the city council uh, is uh, doing one of its meetings. So I'm very popular with our listeners. And uh, one of my favorite segments, uh, Dave Golatz comes on, has uh, the meeting divided up. And apparently, D, he's got two meetings not one, but two meetings. This is all he told me. And <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I know. So uh, it's got a lot of uh, great exchanges between our aldermen and our mayor. And I'm really looking forward to that. But before we get to that, the young man from Alton, just back from his visit to Alton. Yeah. The man that everybody in Alton calls the doctor with the news. Hey, hey, everybody. Happy New Year. <laughs> Still another doctor. Um, <laughs> live stream chat. What's happening? Yes. The big news of the day. Ben got a camera. Holy cow. And no Brianna on the live stream chat. Uh, it's not so old that it's black and white. Okay. <laughs> That's a good one. It's in color. But he is a little pale. So as uh, we've learned. Yeah, a little. Heavy emphasis on the word little. Good God. <laughs> oh, man, I'm whiter than pale. Oh, and there's the brown line. I guess that's still a thing in the new year. Mayor Pete, once again, behind the wheel. Well, I'm good. Choo-choo. Always oh, love trains. These cinnamon rolls are amazing. <laughs> Uh, God. That's 2020 material, Dave. We have new material for the new year. No more cinnamon roll jokes, okay? Yeah, hey, you're there. right. You're right. Yeah. Hey, let's yeah. find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. New year, same drama. We begin in Chicago and with Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. <laughs> I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think. That was her at the end there. <laughs> what a mayor. What a mayor, ladies and gentlemen. Today, Mayor Lightfoot was at Norwegian American Hospital at 9.30 a.m. for an update on COVID-19 vaccinations in Chicago. Uh, no, updates on, on, uh, no updates on that. And if there were, I wouldn't bring it up right now anyway, because we need to catch up and talk about all that went down while we were away, like what happened on Thursday, New Year's Eve. Ben, it finally happened. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, meet botched police raid victim and Jeanette Young. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Mitchell Armentrout. Mayor Lori Lightfoot met with Anjanette Young Thursday for a lengthy, very candid and productive conversation about the botched 2019 police raid of Young's home. Uh, this is according to City Hall and the woman's lawyers. Lightfoot and Young issued a joint statement late Thursday afternoon on the, quote, unacceptable raid, saying they had, quote, discussed a number of systemic changes necessary to address the wrongs done not only to Miss Young, but also to other victims. The statement read, quote, We both acknowledge that today's conversation was but a step towards Miss Young's healing. Today's conversation was not a resolution to the problematic issues that both parties acknowledge exist, which led to the events of February 21st, 2019 at Miss Young's home. However, there could be no resolution without first engaging in a substantive conversation. We are both committed to continuing to identify areas of common ground relating to these issues and to working towards necessary policy changes together. Mm. Well, um, uh, it's good news that uh, they met, and uh, I hope that was beneficial to Anjanette Young. Uh, and going forward, <clears throat> beyond uh, the uh, raid on Anjanette Young's home, uh, 
And just to remind folks, uh, I know our down uh, our listeners right now uh, know the story inside out, but maybe there's somebody tuning into the podcast for the first time. Uh, in February of 2019, police, about 10 or 12 police officers uh, knocked down the door to Engineer Young's home. Uh, they had a no-knock warrant, and uh, they were looking for someone or something that was not in that home since uh, they had the wrong address, the wrong uh, residence uh, on their warrant. Uh, they put her in handcuffs. She happened to be naked at the time. She was alone in her house, uh, and uh, she had done nothing wrong, and her home had been invaded by police officers. They handcuffed her behind her back, humiliated her, didn't believe her when she pled with them that they had the wrong house. Finally undone, did the handcuffs long enough to let her put a T-shirt and some pants on and then put the handcuffs back on again. This happened when uh, Rahm Emanuel was the mayor, as Lori Lightfoot likes to point out. But, but, the hardball politics played by the law department of Lori Lightfoot very much happened under Lori Lightfoot's reign as it was Lori Lightfoot's law department. Now, uh, so the issue is why didn't Lori Lightfoot take serious of the situation regarding Anjanette Young's home, the fact that uh, she had been so obviously violated. Why did Lori Lightfoot's uh, legal team play such hardball in regards to Anjanette Young? Was it because they thought it was more important to protect the city of Chicago from a big uh, payout in a lawsuit as opposed to getting the city's police department to change its tactics? These are the issues that would be uh, discussed and debated if we were going to have some kind of careful analysis of what went down, but these aren't the issues that are going to be discussed or debated. Really, what's happening right now is that uh, Lori Lightfoot's team is doing absolutely everything they can to sort of change the subject and put a direction in a different area away from Lori Lightfoot, as though she had nothing to do whatsoever, nothing to do with the way the city handled uh, the raid over the last two years. Uh, by the way, D, the same, I think it was the same day that uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, met with Anjanette Younger, maybe the day before, the city finally got around to releasing some emails. Did you have that part of the story ready for an update? Should I riff on it right now? Go for it, buddy. All right. They uh, released some. We, we, had a, we did the over-under. You know, when was Lori Lightfoot going to release those emails? We were waiting for these emails for a while. Remember, okay, let's just set the stage one more time. When the story broke, when the video emerged uh, from Channel 2, I think it was on a Sunday, or maybe it was a Monday. The next day, Tuesday, yeah, it was a Monday. The next day, Tuesday, Lori Lightfoot gave a press conference. Excuse me, Lori Lightfoot issued a statement, which I love reading. Today, I became aware of an incident involving Miss Anjanette Young from 2019 before I became mayor. And I saw the video today for the first time. I had no knowledge of either until today. Well, turns out that that's not true. She did have knowledge of the incident. In fact, uh, some of the emails that were released show that uh, she was, uh, one of her assistants wrote, Mayor, please see below for a pretty bad wrongful raid coming out tomorrow. Uh, she's talking about a CBS report. And so when CBS first aired the story, it was in 2019, November 11th. And uh, Lori Lightfoot wrote back, I have a lot of questions about this one. Can we do a quick call about it? So she was clearly not telling the truth at that press conference, D, uh, on, excuse me, in that press statement on December 15th. And uh, the email was dropped on the 30th. 
these uh, emails that the mayor's office promised to turn out. We kept joking. Would she drop them on New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve to make life difficult for reporters? So she was kind of benevolent. I got I to gotta say, she dropped them on December 30th. And she didn't drop all of them, just uh, some of them. So there are more to come be. So this story is not uh, going anywhere. But you know what? Let's give her credit. She's already, what? less cruel than Rom, at least in regards to the press corps. Rom dropped uh, all the Laquan McDonald uh, uh, press releases on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanksgiving was it Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, I'll show that press corps. So Lori Lightfoot, more benevolent in regards to the reporters. Either that or she just doesn't have her act together when it comes to needling the press corps uh, with the emails. But, D, this story's not going anywhere because as far as uh, Lori Lightfoot's role is in this, is it's uh, she has to come in. She should. I don't know if she has to or she'll ever be forced to, to address the policies of her law department uh, in regards to how they handle matters like a police raid that's really over the top. All right, shout out to the live stream chat here. It's very interesting. I'm noticing something here, Ben. Uh, Jay Marie and also Kathy, they both said, uh, oh, wow, I had no clue that uh, that news happened with uh, Mayor Lightfoot and Anjanette Young. Funny how that works out, huh, guys? <laughs> oh, they didn't know. Yes, they didn't know that they met. Yeah, that's funny how it works out. That's generally... Uh, now, you figure a story like the, the mayor meeting with Anjanette Young would be something she would want the world to see but maybe she just wants the world just to forget the whole thing they so we'll drop the emails on the 30th have the meeting on the 31st uh and then with the next story we'll engage i know what we'll do we'll force the teachers to go back to work in dangerous uh COVID conditions that'll get everybody's attention on the, the teachers and we'll get the Tribune to write, and the Sun-Times for that matter, my beloved Sun-Times, to write horrendous editorials denouncing the teachers' union. And everybody will forget the Anjanette Young thing. But I got a funny feeling that's what they got up their sleeve. All right. So with sweep botched raid under rug marked off the mayor's 2021 to-do list, <laughs> we move to the next item getting these pesky teachers back into those classrooms. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times, Stefano Esposito and Nadir Issa. About 40% of Chicago public schools teachers and staff who were expected to report to schools Monday for the first time during the pandemic didn't show up in person for work, officials said Tuesday, accusing the Chicago Teachers Union of pressuring its members to defy the district's orders. In all, about half of teachers and three quarters of support staff returned to classrooms as expected, accounting for 60% of the 5,800 employees told to go back to schools, officials said. The first two days after winter break last school year saw about 83% of employees present. Now, some would say that this next part is a psychological slap in the face. Those teachers who didn't report to work and elected to continue teaching remotely were sent emails. Emails telling them that their absence was unexcused. CPS CEO Janice Jackson said that those who continue to ignore their orders will face progressive discipline according to the union's contract, but that it's, <laughs> that it's in nobody's interest to fire teachers. So, yes... The teachers will be in detention, Ben. <laughs> yeah, man. Go ahead. Uh, 
Well, like I said, nothing like a little showdown with the teachers union to really rally Chicago around its mayor. That's been the attitude of, of mayors uh, since, well, really the end of Daly's administration. Rahm, that was his thing. See, Rahm's strategy, which apparently Lori Lightfoot has bought into, is the fastest way to win over Chicago is just to get tough with the teachers union. Yeah, smack them around a little bit. Fire a bunch of teachers. Get them detentions. Lower their ratings. You know, because they got this notion. Somehow or other, they have this notion that there's just like thousands and thousands and thousands of really qualified teaching candidates just straining to come to Chicago and work for such a lovely crew of characters like Janice Jackson and Lori Lightfoot, who just love teachers so much, who do things like, shut up, get in that classroom. Yeah, oh, there, yeah. Oh, can I come to Chicago and get abused? Hey, maybe I could get a job in Chicago and get COVID. Oh, wow. And it's, this goes back. This is Rom strategy 101. And this is like, because the really, the, you know, and I saw this in City So Real. I got to give a shout out to the uh, Steve James movie because, you know, I, I'm not really privileged to what, like, the really, like, the well connected and the, the ruling class. I mean, mostly I hang out with you. So it's like, you know, I really don't have like a good view of the, the, the ruling, the rulers of Chicago and how they talk. So there was that one scene in City So Real uh, where Steve James went to that party at Christy Hefner's place and all the people, these rich people are sitting around a room and they're all like, yeah, what a great mayor, Mayor Rahm was. We miss him. And what a great alderman Ed Burke is. You know, I don't believe any of these accusations against him. And boy, can we have a little more Mayor Daly. And it's like, these are the people that Lori Lightfoot and Rahm listen to. So they talk. Give them hell. Give those teachers union hell. So that's what this is about, D. It's about putting teachers in their place. Now they're in this weird position. 40%, is that what you said? 40% of the teachers didn't show up because they're afraid, because they don't trust the Chicago public schools to get it right. And I don't blame them. I've been watching the Chicago public schools in action for a long, long time. And it's just not like the most efficient, systematically run universe in the world. Troy LaRavier, do you got this part, D? I, we, did you? Okay. We'll get into Troy LaRavier in a little bit, who a frequent guest on our show. But he pointed this out a long time ago when he finally became principal. Like how indifferent the people who run the public schools are to the needs and concerns and livelihoods of the people that work for them. They run it like, they run it, it's like, like a Sort of a quasi-militaristic operation. Really reminds me of the post office. I work for the post office. And uh, it's sort of like, shut up. Just do what you're told. People always watching you, writing, up, writing you up. You know, it's, it's not really the military. Like, they don't make you salute when you see it. But it's got that attitude, that top-down attitude. And we'd like when the district superintendent would show up at a public school, they would like, hey, quick, the district superintendent's coming. Or God forbid, a mayor would show up at a public school. Quick, clean the schools. Get those desks in order. Tell those kids to shut up. 
So that's kind of how the Chicago public schools operate, Dean. So no, the teachers don't trust them. They got a lot of old buildings. You know, there's there's just not a lot of great ventilation in these buildings. You know, you, who knows what the kids are bringing with them? Everybody's scared. And, the, and then they go, well, you read the Tribune editorial. It says it's safe. Oh, like any teacher is going to believe anything the Chicago Tribune's editorial writers say. But, hey, diverts attention from uh, the Engineer Young raid, right, D? So let's talk about those dastardly teacher union leaders. Go ahead, D. All right, so now to our update from Detention Hall. <laughs> and the response from our friends at the Chicago Teachers Union. This was early, and I mean early this morning at about 6.30, a.k.a. Ben Jarofsky's bedtime. <laughs> Dude's up all hours of the night. <laughs> a joint virtual a joint virtual press conference happened between the Chicago Teachers Union and the Chicago Principals Association. And if you're unfamiliar with the Chicago Principals Association, we'll clue you in a little bit here. The president of the Chicago Principals Association, well, let's just say that if you were to hand him his wallet, it'd be the one that says bad motherfucker on it. Am I right, Ben? <laughs> Whoa! Did, where, it's a new year. Did I hear Dr. D- Just I mean, is, is there a button I can push? I thought I was back at WCP. Where's the yes, we, button? We curse now. Just roll with it, Ben. Roll with it. We oh. curse now. <laughs> okay. Go back. I didn't, I stepped on your line. Go back and repeat that. Well, let's, uh, let's run that through again. Oh, it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. We don't have to edit that out. Uh, no, we're good. We're good. <laughs> He's our dear friend, reoccurring guest on the Ben Jarofsky show and former 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate, Mr. Troy LaRavier. Troy released a statement regarding the CPS and their demands for teachers returning to their classroom. And as suspected, it was awesome. We're going to play the audio from Troy. But first, let's hear from the Chicago Teachers Union. Now, Ben, one thing they kept mentioning in this virtual press conference is how rare it is to have the principals and teachers joining forces. Why is that? Do you you know something we don't know? Yes. There's a lot to unpack there. But I did get a kick out of that. I, uh, <laughs> uh, Jesse Sharkey kept going, we have our problems. By the way, can I just say, poor Jesse Sharkey. What, he had a foul, Troy. I don't know if you see you know that. That's why I'm going to play his clips first before oh, we play Troy. No, no, yeah. no. That's, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> he had a foul. First of all, we got, he's the head of the teachers union. All right. But the most charismatic figure in the teachers union is the vice president, SDG, Stacey Davis Gates. Then he gave the press conference outside of Lane Tech last year. Remember that one day at the, the, the trucks going like, Rrr. I thought Jesse did a good job there, though. I mean, but it's a tough act to follow Troy LaRavier, okay? Well, now Jesse Sharkey would like to speak his case. I, um, <laughs> right now, um. Uh, what's that? Couldn't hear you, bud. Couldn't hear you. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway, well, listen, here's the reality. Principals are bosses of the teachers. You know what I'm saying, Dave? So, like, they're the bosses. And there's a lot of disputes between teachers and bosses. I mean, between teachers and principals. Just that's the way it is. A lot of schools in Chicago, a lot of teachers, a lot of principals. Principals have different uh, leadership tactics, let's say. 
Some of them are petty bureaucrats and autocrats. Uh, and some of the teachers aren't the greatest employees in the world. As much as I love teachers, I have to make that concession. So, you know, you put them all in a building. It's like a little Peyton place. And then uh, there's discipline enacted by the principals and the teachers uh, get to appeal because there's a union process. And so, yes, it sort of it could be a contentious relationship. And so the two have never stood uh, in solidarity that I can recall on system-wide issue. Uh, and furthermore, in the old days, principals were like adjuncts, local adjuncts of the powers that be. They were really hooked up into the whole system. In fact, most of the uh, people who lead the public schools were themselves former principals. And so they just... You know, principals in the, in the past have tended to uh, view themselves as having more of an alliance with the powers that be at the central office and the mayors than they would view themselves as allies of the teachers. But that was all out the window today at that joint hearing, uh, excuse me, at that joint press conference at 6.30 in the morning. Good God. Troy LaRavier gets up early, doesn't he, D? Stacey Davis Gates, they're up with, those birds are chirping. And they're up there fishing. Don't they get up early morning fishing? What? Isn't that what you... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Chopping wood. My bad. <laughs> sorry. Chop. That's not... It's chopping wood. Troy got up at about four in the morning, chopped some wood. All right, now I'll do that press conference. Go ahead. <laughs> Here's Jesse Sharkey from the virtual press conference this morning. I do believe that the district's claims about safety lack credibility. Uh, the CTU had 2,400 members on a Zoom call last night um, that was specifically uh, targeted for people who uh, were part of the January 4th, uh, people who were returning on January 4th, the, the January 4th wave, if you will. Um, of people on the call, 49% said they had not gone into school. Um, of those who did go in, however, 69% of those people said that conditions in their building were not adequate. And um, they mentioned a, a number of really grave and concerning problems from buildings that were still filthy in various states of disrepair um, to things, for example, like teachers went in and found the air purifiers, um, well, either found that their room didn't have an air purifier, or in some cases found the air purifiers that district had purchased. Uh, looked up their make and model, and you know, teachers being teachers, then researched it. You know, looked up the literature on these air purifiers and found that these air purifiers are uh, advertised for um advertised for uh, bedrooms or small offices and that they have a recommended uh, 500 square for rooms that are 500 square feet um very few classrooms in cps are 500 square feet okay there you go right now the air purifiers are not adequate to cover the classroom hey shut up and put the air purifier but uh principal principal mr principal the air purifier doesn't Take care of the whole class. Shut up. Put the air purifier in anyway. What are you, suddenly an expert on heating cooling? Huh? Let's become a heating cooling installer, air conditioned guy. Huh? You're a teacher. Be quiet. Put that purifier in there. And oh, they don't have them. It's like that joke about the the, the food. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, in the what was it? What's it? It's a Woody Allen joke. He goes, uh, um, the, the the food at this restaurant is horrible and such small portions. 
Uh, bad joke. Anyway, I always thought it was a funny joke. But the point is, it's like the air purifiers are inadequate. But a lot of rooms don't even have them. So, whatever. If they have them, they're inadequate. Anyway, all right, I got to work on that joke a little more. Huh, D, yeah. edit out the joke on the podcast. Yeah, I, don't, I don't see uh, Woody Allen references, uh, really. Uh, D, could you take out the Woody Allen reference in the podcast? Okay. Just take that out, all right? Edit that out. Yeah, but that's a good point uh, that Jesse Sharkey made. I agree with them. <laughs> I like it, and, I, and by the way, I know the time. I know that I, I, I am that type. Like, so some teacher looks at this air purifier. What is this? And the, <laughs> looks it up on his or her phone. You know what I mean? I'll look at my little phone out here. Huh? This is the air purifier for like a, a closet, not a classroom. And then you can just imagine telling uh, Lori Lightfoot that. Like, she cares. You know, shut up. Get in that classroom. I'll take your car. Well, that's a, you know. Really working together here, the Board of Education, the mayor, with the teachers. <laughs> yeah, they get the wrong air purifiers. What a system, D. And what ben, a system. Little did you know, looks like you got a 13th day of Hanukkah, buddy, because not only do we have audio from Troy LaRavier also speaking at the virtual CTU press conference, CTU Vice President S. G. <laughs> Stacy Davis Gates. You have a situation right now where principals, paraprofessionals, clinicians, classroom teachers, elected officials, students, and their families are begging, demanding, asking for safety in the middle of a pandemic. You effectively have every single school community stakeholder saying the same thing. And you have our mayor and her team at CPS saying, trust us, we have it. And then the question comes to the Chicago Teachers Union, are you all going on strike? I actually think that's the wrong question. The right question has to be, why aren't they, the mayor and her team at CPS, listening to everyone else? The people who are engaged in remote learning outside of a school building because they don't believe it's safe. The principals who do not have the support and infrastructure that they need to keep people safe. The parents that need to have confidence in our school district in order to drop off their children every day. We need more than what we are receiving in this moment. And it should not take a fight that shuts everything down to get those things. Well, she's right. It shouldn't take a fight to get those things. And uh, we talk about this with Stacey Davis Gates all the time when she comes on the show. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, cannot stand the Chicago Teachers Union. And you know, it goes back, we all talked about this many times, Chicago Teachers Union in its infinite wisdom, didn't listen to me. They came down really strong, really hard for Tony Preckwinkle 2019. I wish they hadn't done it, but like I said, they didn't listen to me. Uh, and uh, Lori Lightfoot has never forgiven them. And she said at the hideout, she said, Ben, I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than I understand politics. When this is all done, I'll meet with Stacey Davis Gates. I'll meet with the Chicago Teachers Union. Nope. 
can't stand the Chicago Teachers Union. And, uh, you know, she's being cheered on by all the wrong people. She's listening to all the wrong people in this city on this one. You know, I, I, I asked this to Dennis before the show. I said, he's not from Chicago, so he doesn't really, you know, have a stake in all this. He's from Alton. I said, just in general, down in Alton, you ask your average Joe downstater. On one hand, you got the mayor of Chicago <laughs> and the Board of Education. On the other hand, you got a bunch of teachers who have to go into a classroom where they might get COVID. Who would average Joe, which side would they be on? The teachers or the powers that be? What's your response, D? It's the teachers. Yeah. But not in Chicago. <laughs> in Chicago, this, in Chicago, the attitude is, I can become more popular if I could just have a war with the Chicago Teachers Union. I watch Rom going down this path. I remember Proco Joe. We were talking about him last week. Alderman of the First Ward. Got a little trouble now. But before he got in trouble, he's Alderman of the First Ward. Going on national TV to say, I love teachers. I just don't like their union. This during the teacher strike. All the Aldermen were trying to figure out how they could walk this tightrope, stay loyal to Rom without totally alienating their parents and their the teachers in their district. So yeah, Chicago plays that weird game. And Stacy's right. It shouldn't have come to this. You know, the teachers union should have been meeting uh, with Mayor Lori Lightfoot on this issue. Uh, talk about what they need in the classroom. Not in Chicago. I'm telling you, it's that militaristic attitude. Do generals talk to privates? Do generals talk to just normal routine inductees? They're just going to talk to some guy, you know, the lowest ranking soldier? No way. They only speak to other generals. So that's how it works in the Chicago public school. That's how it works in the city of Chicago. Mayors don't talk to teachers. If you notice, D, they never put an ordinary teacher on any board. You know, they'll put education professors on the board. They'll put retired principals board, right? They'll pr put somebody who started out as a teacher and then went into law school and went on to become a corporate lawyer. They'll put a corporate lawyer on the board. They never put an ordinary teacher. Ever notice that? Never, ever. Well, they don't put any ordinary citizens on any boards because they're worried that they won't, they don't know enough to fall in line and do whatever the bosses say, which is, sort of the first thing they looking for when they put somebody on a board. So I don't know where this is heading, but uh, Stacy's right. It shouldn't It shouldn't come down to a teacher strike. It should be Lori Lightfoot working in conjunction with the Stacey Davis Gates and the Jesse Sharkies of the world. Oh, God, what a radical thought to, to treat teachers like they're your peers. Wow. As opposed to what your servants, people you order around, snap your finger, tell them to shut up, go to work, do what we tell you. If you get COVID, oh well, tough luck. All right, and finally, a man that we are proud to call our friend, Mr. Troy LaRavier. Here's Troy being Troy with his message to the mayor and her Chicago Public Schools team. I'm going to play as much as this as we can here. Uh, we're running a bit behind, and we do not want to keep Mr. City Council waiting too long. But uh, let's play the audio that we have here from Troy LaRavier. 
Uh, everyone take notes, because apparently we're going to school today as well. Ben, I will pause uh, on occasion here uh, for your thoughts. Uh, but like I said, we may not get too far into this, but let's play what we got here. Take it away, Troy LaRavier. understand is that principals reopen schools in a manner that is organized, safe, and thoughtful. I have a 13-year-old son who's in eighth grade, which is a pivotal year. He is an only child, and I would love to see him back in school. However, we also have to understand that the biggest obstacle to reopening schools is the management of CPS, because they failed to meet the standards set by teachers and principals for our support of a reopening plan. If you tell your child that he can't play outside until he cleans his room, but the child keeps his room a mess, who's the biggest obstacle to to him playing outside? You for setting the standard or the child for not meeting the standard? The mayor and CEO are like that child whining about us setting standards for opening schools rather than accepting responsibility for their failure to meet those standards. One of the simplest standards we set is that any plan to reopen schools has to be co-created with teachers uh, and principals and other stakeholders. There are two reasons for this standard. The first is that CPS has proven time and time again that they're not trustworthy, that they lack credibility. They failed to be honest and transparent so many times that a majority of teachers, principals, and parents don't trust them to come up with reopening plans behind closed doors. The examples of their dishonesty are everywhere. Look at how they promoted reopening as an equity issue for black and brown families. And then look at how many of those same families are opting into in-person learning at rates far lower than white families. The five schools with the highest percentage of families choosing in-person learning are all between 64 and 82% white, the highest totals in the district. While the five schools with the fewest families choosing in-person learning are all 98% or more black and Hispanic and choosing in-person learning at rates less than 10%. But then look closely and you see that families that, that you'll see that families had to opt in via the internet, a platform that non-white families have lacked, less access to and the district's support for the families to access that opt-in form was so inadequate that in some some schools, more than half of families didn't complete the form at all. So we see clearly that contrary to the words of our mayor and CEO, this reopening plan does not seek to address inequity. It is promoting inequity. Now, the district can't control what families decide, but they can control the resources they put into outreach and access to engage families. But they did absolutely nothing. In other words, they've shown themselves to be dishonest about equity. And as a result, they lack credibility in the eyes of those of us who've witnessed their deception. Would you trust your life and your children's lives with the officials who mislead people like this? Principals, teachers, and parents of the mostly black and brown students that we serve have clearly said no. Another instance instance in which you can see this dishonesty occurred on November 30th in response to the questions about potential staffing issues. Janice Jackson told WBEZ, and I quote, we've been modeling it out and we feel pretty confident in our ability to staff in-person instruction. And so since she said she's modeling it out, we at the Principals Association did a Freedom of Information Act request asking for those staffing models, since they obviously are so confident because they've done these models. We put multiple Freedom of Information Act requests in and all were denied. It wasn't until 
two weeks after we reached out to the HR department that they sent us a table of teacher, uh, of their record of teacher decisions of uh, who was going to apply for leave and who was going to come. But it was a district wide table. It was not an analysis, particularly there was no individual school analysis. If you wanna see if schools are staffed properly and you wanna model that, then you have to look at staffing numbers at each individual school to see if schools look, see which schools look okay and which schools are coming up short and are gonna need some staffing support. Nothing to back Jackson's claims was released to us their claims that they've done modeling that would make them feel so confident that they could staff schools. They released absolutely nothing because they did no modeling. That's Troy LaRavie. I heard that one this, uh, when I, when I got up at uh, the break of uh, 10 o'clock D I was listening to that one. Uh, and uh, that's just so you know, folks, Troy LaRavie is uh, pretty unique for principals in this town. He made his name uh, by, as a principal of Blaine school in the North side of Chicago by defying, the Board of Education by questioning the Board of Education, by questioning the mayor and uh, the CEO of the schools and got, ended up getting fired. It was the most, most blatantly political. Fire. He, it was something out of the Trump White House, except that uh, it came out of Rahm Emanuel's uh, City Hall with Janis Jackson. Uh, being the person who had to deliver the message. And I was there the day that Janice Jackson showed up at Blaine to explain to parents uh, why they had to fire Troy. And she said, they have evidence of some misdeeds that they're going to release someday. And of course, they never re released him because there was no evidence. Uh, and then he was elected by principals to be the head of their association. But this is unique for Chicago to have a principal uh, stand up in alliance with the teachers uh, to demand that the leaders of the Chicago public schools be accountable for the programs they're trying to force down teachers' throats and down principals' throats. And so he's making a very obvious point. Like, just if there's inequities in the schools to begin with, if some schools have staff that are more fearful of going into the classroom than other schools, what are you going to do to guarantee that those schools will have the staff that they need uh, once schools reopen? How about this? What if a school, he said this later on, Dee, but I'll just close with this, schools in some areas have a higher rate of uh, COVID than in others. I think he said in Lincoln Park, it's about 2% and in some uh, areas of the city on the west south side, it's like 18%. So what are you doing to, to compensate for that fact? You know, it's more dangerous to go to a school, let's say in an area where there's a higher COVID rate than on the north side. There's inequities that already exist in the system and already exist uh, in our schools that the, the pandemic is only already exasper exacerbating. So he's asking them for guarantees that they've looked into this. But no, Chicago, it's just like, uh, they don't. It, it's sort of like Trump. It really does remind me of Trump. Trump just goes and makes some baseless claim about vote fraud without any evidence whatsoever. And in Chicago, they just say, we've got a perfect system. Just shut up and go to go in the classroom without any backup. So, D, it's a scary time. I, I got to admit, my uh, my heart goes out for everybody. I, look, you you saw this firsthand when you were watching your nieces and nephews doing their online education. <laughs> this is not a model of schooling by any means. But we're in the middle of a pandemic. 
The mixed messages are horrific. We're being told, don't go out in large gatherings. Don't go to bars. Don't go to restaurants. Don't go to parties. But, yeah, go, go in that classroom right there. Yeah, you're okay. So uh, I, I'm, I share uh, Troy LaRavier's concern. I'm really happy to see. That's all. We could do a whole show. Uh, on uh, the divisions between in, the, in lefty land uh, and uh, between the various factions of that corner of Chicago, uh, where the left resides, and it's a uh, it was it was it was uh, a welcome sight to see Troy LaRavier uh, at that press conference uh, with Stacey Davis Gates. I'm going to put the pressure on us a little bit. How about we shoot for a interview with both Troy LaRavier? And Stacey Davis Gates on the same Google meeting, huh? Whoa. Huh? <laughs> yeah, man. We could do that. We could do that. Yeah. I could see it now with my camera. We'd all see each other. Oh, so, yeah, lucky know. them. Oh, is that, a, is that a polar bear? Oh, no. Hey, Ben. <coughs> no, we can work. It's not COVID, ladies and gentlemen. Just oh. coughing. Um we can work on that. I have our crack team of production assistants who arranged the, the interviews uh, set one of the set that up. Oh, wait a minute, I do that. Yeah, uh, that's, that's just you. <laughs> yeah, it's just me. No staff, just me and Ben. <laughs> Still in the new year. Pat Whalen helps us out as well on the social media. You're the man. Uh, we have Dave Glowatz here. Look at hey, how come I don't get there? He is. There's that good-looking guy, Dave Glowatz is here. We're going to take a break and bring him on, right, Dave? Absolutely. All right, very good. Looks like Brad Pitt. God dang. All right, more with Brad Pitt in a moment. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at the Chicago Reader website and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Over 800 episodes of the Ben Jarofsky show for you to check out and download. Also, we're on YouTube. Check us out on the live stream chat sometime. If you are one who downloads, it's always a good time. Join the live stream chat and uh, check out the Ben Jarofsky show live as well. When we come back, Mr. City Council, Dave Glowatz.
portion of the program brought to you by the chicago reader and the chicago federation of labor finney j take it away all right i'll tell you what d you're so correct whenever i listen to the uh, exchange between mayor Lori lightfoot and alderman uh, ray raymond lopez the part that cracks me up every single well so much where he goes well no well no offense but fuck you <laughs> It's not how no offense works. <laughs> I don't know if the no offense really <laughs> uh, counterbalances the fuck you then. Anyway, uh, Raylo, God bless you, man. All right. As promised, we've been looking forward to this. I've been bragging about this uh, appearance for about two weeks now since I cut the deal with young Dave Glowass. Oh, Dave, you should have heard him. My God, bragging so much on the phone, off the phone. My mom will send the check very soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Inside Chicago Government's the name of his website. Uh, he's also known as Mr. Bike, but we don't talk about bicycling anymore. We talk straight city council politics because he uh, takes the deep dive every time there's a city council meeting. So without further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy at Weber High School, Dave Gloatz with another city council breakdown go ahead dave. Well, dave before we get going here uh we haven't really brought it up to you what do you think of that new title we've given you now mr city council yeah i think we should uh focus group that one well, <laughs> we have we have been the live stream chat they they voted on it they really like it you're kidding me. no i'm not 
All right. Well, um, maybe it's time to hire a consultant. Uh, what's Kowalski doing these days? Not a fan. Live stream chat room. He's not a fan. <laughs> yeah, he thinks his focus group is better than our focus group. I'm just looking for an outside consultant. That's like, this is, that's that's the Chicago way, isn't it? Yes, it's the Chicago way. Well, yes. happy New Year to both you and Dennis. I'm really pleased to be with you guys here in the New Year. Thank you for having me. Well, our pleasure. Thank you. You too. So <clears throat> go ahead and do your thing, young man. Well, today we're going to talk about a couple sessions of the Chicago City Council in December of 2020. And one was the uh, regularly scheduled meeting of the full city council, which took place on December 16. And another was a joint hearing of two committees, the Committee on Health and Human Relations and the Public Safety Committee. That took place on December 22, and we'll talk about why that one happened. But let's first, let's go to the regular meeting of the city council on the 16th. That was a pretty routine meeting as meetings go. It was a couple hours long, and it had a a variety of um, regular business items. And the first thing I want to talk about in the context of that meeting, Dennis, we're going to do immigrant first. Um, Let me give a little history about this item that I'm going to talk about first. In 2012, the city council passed something, Ben, that I'm sure you're aware of, something called the Welcoming City Ordinance. That guarantees that undocumented residents have access to city services, and it prevents Chicago police from arresting people based on their immigration status. But... There are some loopholes in it in that there are exceptions that let the Chicago police work with federal agents on immigration enforcement. And that made the immigration rights activists pretty unhappy. So fast forward to 2020 and in her initial 2021 budget proposal, Mayor Lori Lightfoot planned that part of the budget legislation would essentially address those exceptions that allowed police to work with the feds. But some aldermen didn't like that that was linked, that these exceptions were linked to the budget vote. So some negotiation took place, which I'm sure you've talked about, and the mayor's team took them out of the budget ordinance. But she pledged to craft a separate ordinance containing the revocations of these, these loopholes which she did in a proposed ordinance that's called 02020-6199. She got three aldermen to co-sponsor it, namely Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez of the North Side's 33rd Ward, Carlos Ramirez-Rosa of the North Side's 35th Ward, and Mike Rodriguez of the South Side's 22nd Ward. And what we're going to hear, then, is the intro of the proposed ordinance near the beginning of the December 16. City Council meeting, and let's hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, at the request of the Mayor's Office of New Americans, I transmit here with it together with Alderman Rodriguez, Rodriguez Sanchez, and Ramirez Rosa, an ordinance amending Chapter 2 173 of the Municipal Code of Chicago. Favorable consideration of this ordinance will be appreciated. Barely truly yours, Lori Lightfoot, Mayor, refer to the Committee on Immigrant and Refugee Rights. Public safety. Two committees call the matters referred to the Committee on Committees and Rules. This, uh, that that was sent to the Rules Committee. And just to uh, make sure our listeners are cognizant of what this means, this maneuver where something is introduced and the city clerk shuttles it to a 
or perhaps I should have shunted to a uh, to an appropriate city council committee can be derailed if some alderman says calls out as we just heard. I wanted to go to a different committee, in which place it goes to the rules committee, which, as you know, Ben, is often used by the mayor's office to slow down or stop legislation that the mayor doesn't like. So here we have a piece of legislation that revokes these exceptions to uh, immigration enforcement that the mayor was actually a sponsor of. So it's interesting to think, like, who might have done this? Yes. And the answer is? We don't know. Oh. Then, uh, Dennis, would you play rules? Public safety. That's all we know is we heard that voice. We heard it's a male, obviously. Yeah. Let's hear it one more time, Dennis. Public safety. That's all I got right now. Let me try and re-upload that here. Uh, for some reason, it came in uh, kind no, of short. That's exactly that's it. it. That's yeah. it. That is in other it. words, yeah, that's all there is to it. That, just do a one more. Let's just make that part of a regular show. Go. Public safety. Yes. Yeah, so, so it sounds like a white alderman to me. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, it's just it's kind of has a, just a general Chicago accent. It's not Nick Spazzato. Uh, no, it's, come on. It's not so my it's guy. Public safety. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did Nick join this uh, this discussion? It was like Dave Collins. I swear, it was Nick's voice coming out of there. Let's hear this one one more time. Public safety. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, you know, it's in a weird way. Uh, it sounds like a young Luis Gutierrez. That's, that's what I just. <laughs> I don't know why I think that, but somebody kicked it over to the rules committee where it would bury and die. So, so I know we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I'm just—it was really interesting. Like, who would want to derail this, considering that it was sponsored by the mayor? Uh, you know, just some gee whiz kind of facts. The two of the sponsors, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez and Carlos Ramirez Rosa, voted no on the mayor's 2021 budget. But I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like to be retribution in this case. You know, I don't know. We we talked about this, I think, once before. I have no idea, but it's uh, it just shows the strange uh, little but quirks of the Chicago city council that if you want to, in this case, it's like somebody just wanted to stick at the needle, everybody, you know what I'm saying? I'm just going to send this to rules uh, just to have one more obstacle that you have to clear before uh, this, this matter is addressed. And, and look, there's many different, this is like knives out. Did you ever see the movie Knives Out? No, I understand the concept. Yeah, the the Knives Out is where there was a whole group of people in a room, like 10 people in a room, and somebody murdered them, and they have to figure out who the murderer is among the 10 people, and they all have their motives and their possible... Actually, a very funny movie. Anyway, the point is, there's a lot of people who might want to bury uh, this legislation. It was very, for instance, very unpopular with black aldermen. Uh, Mays Jackson came on the show a couple weeks ago and was ripping this deal. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, it was Mays Jackson, the uh, talk show host. So uh, there's, there's a there's a narrative around that, namely that uh, some blacks feel that there's uh, uh, too much favor given to to Latinx people in the city of Chicago's favoritism, where blacks feel they've been targeted by law enforcement for a long time. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that that issue was at play in the 2015 election uh, when in which uh, it was used uh, to undercut Jesus Garcia to help Rahm Emanuel. What a weird world it is in Chicago uh, that that was a, 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 an effective tactic. So 
Uh, Dave, there are many potential candidates uh, who would want to undercut this legislation. I do not know who Mystery Voice X is. And another element I'll introduce into this is that even though we can't, when in the video or playback of this, we can see only the, uh, the city clerk reading this stuff. We do know that the mayor, when she is uh, presiding over the city council meetings, has a very, we know this because the Chicago Tribune took a photograph of it, it's a very large screen monitor that has all the aldermen arrayed on it. And I'm guessing maybe they record that, you know, so if she wanted to, she could identify who the heck that was. And so that implies to me that that alderman doesn't care. Yeah, it also could be, uh, just so you know, this all, uh, this legislation was very unpopular with uh, what reason, what we have of MAGA in the city of Chicago, uh, who felt as though that it was an infringement on law enforcement's ability to really crack down uh, and police the city. So it could be a MAGA alderman, for all I know. You know, it, uh, it could be a law enforcement alderman. What's that? A pro-law enforcement alderman. Yeah, law enforcement alderman. I call them a MAGA alderman because they come from a ward where the Trump vote's a little higher. I mean, uh, I'm not saying those are one and the same, but I'm saying aldermen yeah. who have who have a uh, uh, a preference for not limiting the powers of police. Exactly. So it there's many. That's like I said, it's knives out. Many candidates, many possibilities. Well, shall we move on? Yes, sir. Let's move on to, I guess, what I'm calling the main event here. <laughs> this has got many, many components. We're going to do Haddon next, Dennis. <clears throat> so let's go way back to February 2019, something that you've been talking about for quite a while in recent days, Ben. The Chicago police executed a search warrant at the home of a woman by the name of Anjanette Young on the west side. In November of 2019, WBBM-TV Channel 2 aired interviews with Ms. Young, in which it was revealed that cops went to the wrong address looking for a gun with their search warrant. Fast forward to December 14th, 2020, when the city learned that WBBM-TV planned to air video of the raids from the raid gotten from the cops' own body-worn cameras. As we know, the city tried and failed to get a federal judge to stop the airing of the videos, which happened on the following day. And Ben, you've been talking about the fact that Mayor Lori Lightfoot issued a press release saying she had no knowledge of the police body cam video. The day after that was the scheduled city council meeting. That sets us up for this clip. What we're going to hear is a discussion after the city council's finance committee chairman proposed a three, an unrelated $300 million settlement in a lawsuit. And this lawsuit was called Denigma Howard versus the city of Chicago. In that suit, a video recording showed a January 2019 incident at Marshall High School, wherein Chicago police officers dragged Miss Howard, a 16-year-old student, down a flight of stairs and some other things that happened in this altercation. And what we're going to hear first is a comment by Alderman, Alderwoman Maria Haddon of the North Side's 49th Ward which then elicits a response from the mayor and from Alderman Byron Sichel Lopez of the Lopez of the South Side's 25th Ward. And let's listen. Alderman Haddon. I find it very disturbing. The situation we find ourselves in as a city, our law department, 
asking people to settle when great harm has been done to them, especially when that harm is done to Black women, people of color, disabled people, and other marginalized populations. So this no vote is recognizing that Ms. Howard deserves more than what we are giving and asking her to settle for. I feel compelled in light of the last comment to say this. All of these plaintiffs have lawyers. We deal with counsel as an ethical responsibility. We never deal directly with the plaintiffs. I don't know the circumstances underlying these three cases, but in many instances, the plaintiff's lawyers themselves come to the law department asking for settlement. So I don't think it's accurate or fair for comments to say that we are, in effect, forcing plaintiffs to settle. The courts are open. If plaintiffs do not want to settle, they should not. But a blanket condemnation of the law department, which the last comment suggested, I think is irresponsible and based on my experience, wildly inaccurate. Alderman Sicho Lopez, briefly. In light of the cases of police brutality that we continue to see across the city, in the case of Ms. Young, I do think it's important that the city recognizes that we have a systemic issue with police brutality. Ms. Young called out the police 43 times to denounce that this was an illegal and mistaken raid in her house. So again, I feel compelled. Alderman, Alderman I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Compelled. I have, I'm sorry, I have, I have I, my five Alderman, minutes. Alderman, Madam Chair, I have five Alderman, minutes. I have Alderman, five minutes. You commented. Alderman, I, I three, three matters that are up on before the council. If you want to talk about a separate issue, there will be a time and a place for that. But you are out of order, sir. I'm not out of order. I have, I have my, according to rules, I have time to comment, Madam Chair. You have your time to comment. I have my five minutes comment, Madam Chair. And as I said, I do think that when you talk about ethics, it was unacceptable. What we saw in the media last night, I think it's urgent. And I think if there's a time and a a place, I hold you accountable, Mayor, to have a hearing on the matter on the Public Safety Committee and the Health Committee because the public deserve an explanation of what happened, why the law department was trying to sue the plaintiff because she was trying to make this public as is her right. So again, oh, Madam Chair, with all the respect, let's talk about ethics. Let's talk about ethics and accountability. You. you do not know the facts, but that doesn't stop you from making wildly inaccurate comments. We will be addressing this issue in total after the city council meeting. But I, what I would ask you is to actually get the facts, sir. You, you right. spend a significant amount of your time talking about issues for which you have no facts. And that is highly problematic. It is irresponsible. It undermines your fiduciary out of order. Out of order. Not only to the council, this is out of to, order. but to the larger city of the, Chicago. You are out of order. I allowed you to make a comment. We have three issues that are up right now. Ma- Madam President, personal tax on members of this body is out of order. I assume that's our, uh, that's all. Uh, Not a personal attack. Madam, Madam President, facts are personal hold attacks. On, hold on, folks. Facts are always relevant. And Alderman Sicho Lopez, anybody else who wants to talk about the matter that's been portrayed in the public, what I'd ask you to do is actually get the facts. There are three matters that are up. Those are the three matters that we're talking about right now. If anybody else wants to speak on those three matters that are before the body, then I will recognize you. Outside of that, you are out of order. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's the first time. Uh, I got to say, uh, Dave, uh, Dennis and I have been playing bits of that clip, uh, mainly the, the main exchange between uh, Byron Sisha Lopez and the mayor. But to hear the whole thing, and I want to thank you very much for um, 
gathering all of it, starting with Maria Haddon's comments, then Mayor Lori Lightfoot's response to Maria Haddon's comments, then Byron Sisters Lopez's response to Mayor Lightfoot's response, then the back and forth where Carlos uh, Rosa uh, defends Byron, and then Nick Spazzato, out of nowhere, my man Nick, and that, that distinctive voice of Nick Spazzato, it's not, that, he, he feels compelled to defend the mayor. <laughs> What a city council. Folks, when times are gloomy and doomy, and I'm feeling bad because we have an insane tyrant running the country who calls up the Secretary of State of Georgia and says, find the votes I need to win the election that I lost, it's always reassuring to know that my beloved Chicago City Council <laughs> will provide me with a little diversionary entertainment. Nick Spasano, rushing to defend the mayor. Nick. Nick, you were like uh, Usain Bolt jumping out of those starting gates to defend that mayor. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's not true. <laughs> oh, my Lord. That is something else. Now, ben, you like to talk about the days of uh, Mayor Daly Sr., where he would just simply cut off people's microphones. Yes. And that's, well, that, that's not happening here at all. No. I mean, uh, so let's give her credit. The evolution of a more tolerant mayor, mayor in Chicago from Mayor Davis. And he would cut the microphone off and send in the sergeant of arms. Remember there's that image of him, two sergeants of arms trying to get Dick Simpson, then a, uh, an independent alderman for the 44th Ward to sit down, you know. <laughs> they always cutting off Linda Prey's microphone. And the guy would be yelling, no one could hear him, his, his fingers would be waving. I think I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. It's going to be so interesting when the day comes that this, this body, the city council, is assembled in person again. Because I think there's no undoing some of this. Though, so, you know, I have to say as a frequent visitor to the actual city council chambers, the technical way that they, they do speaking is that there is a a person, a technician who's up in the, the gallery, kind of the mezzanine, who is literally like he has a he has a, a, a loft that's no window, you know, so he can lean down and look at the floor. And when someone wants to speak, he, he, he or she, usually it's a he, activates their microphone. Because otherwise, you know, aldermen are talking among themselves sometimes so that most of their microphones are off. So they don't actually control their microphones. So, you know, this thing is it would be very different, whereas in this video conference environment, they seem to have total control, and, and, and then we have the kind of things that we just heard. I love it. And by the way, let me just say this, um, getting to sort of the merits of the debate. Uh, this was Lori Lightfoot before she did the complete full 180 on this issue. I just, I, people, you really got to know this. You know, because really the credibility of the mayor is on the line in this on this issue. And when this story broke into the consciousness of Chicago with Dave Savini's report, which actually aired the video. So that's why the parallels of Laquan McDonald are so clear, because there was not a lot of people knew about either incident, uh, Laquan McDonald getting shot or uh, uh, Anjanette Young's house getting raided. But like, Dave Savini had done already done one report on uh back in november of what was it 2019 yeah in which uh engineer young came on the tv and made this accusation and so making an accusation uh which is just your your word against the cities right and the city is like i guess they're blanket denial 
well, this case, or they'll say this case is a matter of uh, litigation, we can't comment, uh, is one thing. But actually seeing the raid is another thing. And so Lori Lightfoot spent about three days or two days still in that attack mode of we don't uh, concede that what she's saying is the truth. Uh, this matter is uh, is being adjudicated or litigated, so we can't really comment on it. Uh, and then calling everybody from Gregory Pratt of the Chicago Tribune to Byron Sixto Lopez of uh, the city council and even Maria Haddon there, uh, just out of uh, ignorant of the facts. You know what I mean? Like counterpunching everybody. And then, like within a day of this city council meeting, she had completely transformed. The PR people got to her and go, Mayor, you look terrible. And in a way, she kind of set herself up there with Haddon by by, by chastising Haddon about, you know, everybody's got their day in court, lady, you know. Yeah, your blatant condemnation is inaccurate of the law department. And let me remind you, ladies and gentlemen, of the jury. (laughs) <laughs> it's feeling so legal. Ladies and gentlemen, jury, let me tell you, the same mayor who on that city council meeting told Haddon, defended the law department, who defended the law department in the face of criticism from Maria Haddon, and said, your blatant condemnation of the law department uh, is inaccurate. That same mayor would insist on the firing of the corporation council for about two days. You talk about a flip-flop. They make fun of me, uh, uh, Dave, I'm brutalized on my own show for flip-flopping repeatedly on the issue of whether Michael Madigan should step down as Speaker of the House. Flexibility, a, Ben. Flexibility. We even have a, a, a sound effect for it. <laughs> well, that was, here's Mayor Lori Lightfoot on the issue of the law department. I love him. Don't say anything bad about him. Uh, fire him. Take his car. Leave Chicago. That's some. <laughs> she is flexible. You're right. I thought it was a great gymnast. I thought it would be a flip in the air. Unbelievable. I, will, that will, part she, she was, will she nail the landing, though? That's the question. Yes. Well, I don't know. Yeah, good. She's still somewhere in the air flipping yeah. and waiting to see. Uh, yeah. uh, but that is uh, that amazing. Where she um, defends the law department to Maria Haddon and chastises her for a blanket condemnation of the law department a day before she throws the law department, the corporation council, her hand-picked Corporation Council, I might add, Mark Flessner, the pride and joy of Naperville, under a bus uh, is pretty, it's pretty nimble. Yes, I would say it's pretty nimble. So that's all I've got for the December 16 meeting. And so more in the, more of this vein, what happened the following week was, as I said earlier, a joint hearing of the Health and Human Relations Committee and the Public Safety Committee to get the facts around what happened with Ms. Anjanette Young and this botched police raid. And um, I want to, Dennis, we're going to do Vasquez next because this follows on to the point that we were just talking about around the, the, um, the law department. So this December 22 meeting was eight hours long where Alderman quizzed in two rounds. They each got to go around the, the questioning alderman to various members of the administration, namely police department, uh, uh, civilian office of police accountability, even the Cook County State's attorney's office, which is not part of the administration. All these people were arrayed before the, the joint hearing. And what we're going to hear now is an exchange between Alderman Andre Vasquez of the North Side's 40th Ward 
and the respective chairs of these two committees, Alderman Rod Sawyer and Alderman Chris Taliaferro. And let's listen. Alderman Andre Vasquez. Is anyone here representing the Department of Law or the mayor's team? From the Corporation Counsel's Office. Doesn't appear so, Alderman. Okay. I appreciate that. I just want to ask because that's part of my point with due respect to the committees being joined. The fact that the scope of what this conversation is, is limited to only the search warrants when we've had failures from the mayor's team in order to getting the information to her, when we've had failures from the Department of Law in not only trying to put fiduciary responsibility over civil rights of people and being able to stop FOIAs and stop the media from getting information, the fact that those two components of this whole problem aren't here, I'm curious as to whether there's a plan at all to convene a committee hearing to discuss those two components, because those are separate from everything here. And we're trying to talk about the fulsome matter of the incident. Um, has there any of the chairs, have there been discussions as far as getting that going forward? We all found out about this last week. I support the inspector generals. I've been doing an investigation here, the independent investigation that has been announced. And I support the investigation of COPA. But with those investigations, perhaps three separate investigations will give us is more information on what happened. I appreciate that. It's just, you know, we all did all learn this together. And the first place my brain went to was the Department of Law. So the fact that they're not somebody who we're having here under questioning is a concern of mine. So, again, I'll point out the, what Andre Vasquez is asking. You know, here we are in this eight-hour hearing, and arguably the two most um, uh, culpable, I'll use that word, or relevant um, uh, sections of the administration, only the law department and the mayor's office itself, were not represented at all. Mm -hmm. Who is the, the voice bef in between Andre's comments? So we first, so it's a joint committee meeting. Yeah, it was Andre, and then there was a second voice yeah, who played. The, first, the second voice was uh, Alderman Rod Sawyer, who was the chair oh, was Rod of Sawyer. the Health Got and it. Human okay. Relations Committee. Gotcha. So he was okay. answering that question. Then later, Chris Taliaferro okay. chimed in. And Taliaferro points out in that clip that there are three investigations of this matter, one by uh, the Inspector General's office, one by... COPA and one that was um, enlisted or activated by the mayor herself, where she got a, uh, a separate legal counsel to, I guess, do a pro bono outside investigation. Yeah. And Talia Farrow is saying, well, you know, we got these three investigations. I don't know if we need, you know, any or any or. <laughs> yeah, uh, Talia Farrow, I should point out, is a committee chair and as such as a uh, ally of the mayor of Chicago. And that's how bizarre situation we have where the mayor, the executive, chooses the chairs of the city council, the legislative branch. Uh, that's a check and balance Chicago style. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dave, I think uh, Andre was making a very good point. Andre Vasquez, Alderman of the 40th Ward, is making a very good point uh, that the most pertinent uh, aspect of this whole fallout over uh, Anjanette Young has to do with the law department, has to do with the decision by the law department to play hardball with Anjanette Young over this raid. That's the part that's most directly related to something that Lori Lightfoot did. As Lori Lightfoot points out time and time again, the raid, the actual raid, occurred in February of 2019 before she was elected mayor. She makes a point of that, right, Dave? She points out all the time, I was not the mayor. In other words, you can't hold me accountable or responsible. Fair enough. But the two ensuing years, or the one in a year and a half of hardball litigation by the law department is something uh, that she has to address. And she started off 
by saying like she was unaware of it. That was her initial uh, claim that she was unaware that uh, this the of the lawsuits existence. She was unaware of the the controversial raid, uh, and furthermore, she could comment no more about it because it was a matter of litigation. That was her initial response. We have subsequently learned that she was alerted by the law department about the existence of the raid. She was alerted that it was a very controversial uh, and disturbing uh, raid. She was alerted that there was a lawsuit. She knew about it. So now the issue is, well, why didn't you tell us that on Tuesday the 15th? And so you're right. Having a discussion, I mean, Andre's right. Having a discussion where you bring in the state's attorney, where you bring in the police department, is utterly irrelevant to the issue at hand, which is what did the mayor know? When did she know it? And was the law department acting independently of her? Were they, as she's leading us to believe by firing or demanding that the corporation council leave, uh, were they like a rogue body that was out of control? And did things that she disagreed with, or were they following her direction? And we're, and, we're not we're not going to find that out in this hearing, as as, as I said. Right, because they're, they're, they're not present. They're not present. Boy, I tell you, Rom's like yeah, that's how you run it. That's how you do it. <laughs> you learn it fast, Lori Lightfoot. You just throw up a bunch of people of absolutely nothing to do with what's at stake. You spend eight hours talking to him, and then, <laughs> well, we have a hearing. What are you worried about? What are you complaining about, Dave Glowatz? Well, but in eight hours, in, uh, in fairness, Ben, in eight hours of testimony, we did learn some interesting other things, <laughs> not from the law department. <laughs> Dennis, we're going to do Coleman next. And let's, let's find out what uh, some of those were. Um, it's been reported that police executed the search warrant of Ms. Young's home based on a tip from a confidential informant. And apparently it's an accepted practice for police to pay such informants. Also, WBBM TV Channel 2 reported, and I'll quote, according to the police department's own data, officers primarily target drugs in search warrants, but fail to find any in 95% of search warrants seeking narcotics in a three-year period, unquote. Or put another way, the cops have a 5% effective rate with such search warrants. Now, this is something we'll hear referenced in an exchange between Alderman Stephanie Coleman of the South Side's 16th Ward and Chicago Police Department Superintendent David Brown. Let's listen. Alderman Coleman. Superintendent, how much have we paid out in the informants in 2019? I'm going to toss that to Jose Tirado, who keeps track of those numbers. Chief Tirado, Bureau of Counterterrorism. Is there a way possible that I could get that to the chair? With all due respect, Chief Toronto, you all have had seven days and you all have sat in front of many budget hearing meetings as important and as hot as this issue is right now that you can tell me for the year of 2019 how much money with only a 5% success rate that the Chicago Police Department has paid out in misinformance at this point. Thank you for another deficiency within the Chicago Police Department, Superintendent Brown, and I hope that you are taking note of that, sir. We'll get it to you, Alderman. Alderman Napolitano. Superintendent Brown, warrants are done and written by police officers based on intelligence by the police, confidential informants, as well as some help from outside agencies. 
based on that information with even positive information that is absolute to locations, is it true that warrants still come up as negative warrants on many occasions? They do. I know the reporting on this has been, you know, this 5% number, that's just not an accurate number. We recover upwards of 80% of the contraband and our guns and drugs that we seek out on search warrants. Of the 1,500, we average a year. That return rate of either contraband or guns to include drugs is over 90%. So one of the interesting things to me about this, Ben, is that there's a pretty wide range of statistics floating around here. One that WBBM reported, which is a, you know, a 5% effective rate. And then we have Superintendent Brown's uh, statement of, you know, when we cover guns and drugs, uh, uh, we have 90% of search warrants yielding that. And, um, you know, it's it, it, uh, it makes for... Uh, fodder or uh, potential for future reporting to try to reconcile these things. They're wildly, wildly out of, out of scale. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, there's a big gap between 5% and uh, what, 80 to 90%. And I, when I was listening to that, uh, that's, by the way, 101 in Chicago. Just throw a bunch of numbers at people. And they, uh, <laughs> that's how they get away with the TIF program. Just throw a bunch of stuff at them. Chicagoans will lose interest uh, soon enough. Uh, then, the, But, you know, I, had a, I just had a, a – he'd start talking about drugs. I'm like – this war on drugs, yeah, I just that was what that triggered me. You know what I'm saying? They're like, yeah. like, like, reefer was just made legal. So I hope there's not looking for reefer. You know what I'm saying? I hope we we've ended that war. Or are, are we doing raids in order uh, to help the states uh, dispensaries sell even more reefer by eliminating the, the black market competition? I don't know. It's just to throw drugs in there. With, I understand raids on truth. guns are serious matters in the city of Chicago where so many people are shooting each other, but. The whole notion of throwing the drugs in there to confuse everybody. Uh, But we'll get back to you with that. That was the other. That's a classic, classic uh, comment to hear at a a city council meeting. Like they knew the meeting was coming. They knew this matter was going to be thrown at them. Uh, And when Stephanie Coleman, give her credit, she was uh, persistent uh, in her line of questioning. When she threw it at him, he goes, well, we'll we'll get it to you. And And so how many weeks? It's about over a week ago. I wonder if they've. Uh, gotten it to her yet yeah this is a persistent uh theme as you said and it provides uh, uh potential for journalists every time one of these can i get that through the chair which means that the, whoever's being questioned will say they will give it to the chair of the committee that's meeting and then that chair will then distribute it to the committee members uh that's you know that's not distributed to the public that's distributed yeah. to the alderman and the only way to for the public to get that is through guess what? FOIA. Yeah. This is why I always and I just have to say this one more time. Always have people make fun of me, but but it, Bob Fioretti, second ward alderman, years ago got access to um, Bob. I, I feel like uh, the statute of limitation has, has expired on this one. Got access to some internal reporting about TIF distribution that the public never sees, a ward-by-ward breakdown. And what I discovered when he told me that was that the city not only uh, has the capability to t- determine uh, how much TIF money each ward gets, but does it on a regular basis uh, to each individual alderman. At the uh, at some point, and theoretically, God bless him, showed me 
the report. And then Mick Dumpy and I launched a whole freedom of information saga uh, to uh, try to get the full body of information, which the city under Mayor Rahm uh, denied us. But this, just, just to your, the heart of what you're saying, they'll slip out information to individual aldermen. They control it all. It's power, folks. Just controlling, having access to information is power. Because then you can shape the public debate. You can say, no, they're wrong, like Mayor Lightfoot. You're, uh, you're wrong. You're inaccurate. Get your facts right. And then they don't give you the information to get your facts right. This is an old story in Chicago, but they like selectively give little pieces of the puzzle to each individual alderman. An individual alderman might share his piece with the reporter. Yeah, that sounds horrible. And uh, his piece of the puzzle, I should say. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, sorry about that tangent. Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, and so then the, these reporters are like foying, trying to assemble everything. They put you through FOIA hell. hell. Six months later, you have a story, you know, filled with numbers. And the larger public is just stupefied by it all, just moving along. And uh, that's the game. Dave, you've, you, you've been a part of this game. You know what it's like. You've been down the FOIA hell many, many times, many more than I. You have more well, patience living, than I do. I'm living in that purgatory right now as we speak. And, you know, the best outcome is, is what you just uh, alluded to, that there would be an investigation that puts together all these pieces. But often it's working the other way. The administration is uh, parceling out small pieces of information to aldermen that they know will, quote, leak, unquote, it to the press. And then the press will then report on it. And then the narrative is promulgated yeah. that way. So. Absolutely. Information is power. The less information you, the public, have, the less power you have. That's how it works in the city of Chicago. Well, speaking of power, let's talk about these search warrants, which is a significant tool of, of uh, law enforcement power. Dennis, we're going to do announce next. In this next bit, we'll hear from Alderwoman Sophia King of the Southside's Lake, Southside Lakefront's Fourth Ward. King asked in this this bit. King asked Police Superintendent David Brown about search warrant procedure. So, one of the questions around police search warrants is when they execute a search warrant after they knock on the door of a home and announce themselves. How long must they wait before? They say, all right, now we got to break down the board, the door, which apparently is standard operating procedure. Like, don't get an answer. We can knock down the door. In this clip, we're going to hear the term breaking down the door referred to as bang the door and breach. And at the end, we'll hear a response from the civilian office of police accountability. And let's listen. Alderman King. What I don't get is, can you literally knock and then bang the door at the same time. Does it have to be time? You have to wait. Let me make sure we understand the current policy as it exists today. Lieutenant Capistanic is on in the current policy. Is there a time required after you announce who you are before you can enter? Lieutenant Mike Capistanic, I'm in the Research and Development Division. When we talk about the requirements for the knock and announce provision, the current policy states that the members will provide the residents with a reasonable opportunity to allow entry. That's how the policy is stated now. And reasonable is not defined? Not in the policy, no. Sorry, anybody, is it appropriate for somebody, COPA? 
Andrea Kirsten, Chief of Investigative Operations. Alderman King, you get right to the heart of what we see so frequently in our knock and announce search warrants, though, is the timing of the announcement of office and the breach. And if there is not, because to your exact point, there isn't a definition of what reasonable is, but we get to define what reasonable is. And we look to things like case law to guide the way we make that determination. And it has to be conduct commensurate with what a reasonable officer in the same situation would or wouldn't do. We have search warrant cases over the last several years in which we've identified as an issue the fact that Chicago Police Department rarely, if ever, asks for no-knock warrants, but what they do is execute warrants in a manner consistent with a no-knock warrant. So that is an area of inquiry that we will be looking into as well, and always do in our search warrant cases. So at the end there, we have Ms. Kirsten from the uh, Civilian Office of Police Accountability saying that COPA has seen this pattern of what looks to them like not not waiting. The police are not waiting. They're just knocking and, and or, or breaking the door down. Yet, it's interesting, interesting to me that yet there really hasn't been any policy or practice put in place to prevent that from happening, even though this is something that COPA has seen. And, and let's just point out that this discussion is a secondary discussion. It's probably uh, has a, a greater long range practical implication for Chicago than the primary focus, uh, primary discussion, which is what did the mayor know? When, when did she know it? And how her law department handled uh, the um, Anjanette Young, the raid on Anjanette Young's house. And if the city of Chicago had been acting as like a watchdog for the public's larger interest in its relationship with police officers, as opposed to acting like a guard of the public purse. They always say the fiduciary interests of taxpayers. They love the word fiduciary. Everybody now loves the word fiduciary. They're all saying, every alderman, I'm going to say fiduciary. It really rolls off the real, tongue, doesn't it? It just rolls, flows. <laughs> Andre Vasquez, I am now an alderman, so I'm going to say the word fiduciary. Hey, Andre, man, did you, I want a rap song in which you have the word fiduciary in there, all right? Anyway, had they been acting like they were concerned about the practical implications of police policy. This would have been discussed in 2019 when Savini did his original piece. Here we are a year later, and they're finally having a discussion about the issue of search warrants and no-knock policies, and when is a no-knock uh, warrant warranted? <laughs> uh, how long should you wait before you knock down the door? And do we just knock down the door anyway, even without the no-knock warrants? So these are matters, very practical policing matters. Is it too much of a restraint upon our police officers to require them to uh, give the people inside a house time to what flush the evidence down the toilet or etc i don't know everybody's got to have their say it's a, an investigation the police department can make it say alderman napolitano can defend the police department ray low can defend the police but the point is because the city of chicago buried all the uh, the litigation, the, the 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 issue of what happened at Engineette Young's house, because they buried it. We're only having that discussion a year afterwards, and it's being overwhelmed by the issue of what did the mayor know and when did she know it? And by the way, uh, Dave, she's doing everything she can just to turn turn the page on this baby, uh, so she that wants, people she wants to stick the landing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Very good. I like and that. arguably we would even be having this conversation if this body cam video hadn't been leaked. I would take the word arguably out of that sentence. <laughs> uh, no, from you. Would not, it's not necessary. We would not. Let's give a shout out to Dave Savini. We would not be having this conversation at all if Savini hadn't uh, obtained that video from the lawyer. Turns out he got it from the lawyer. And the city, their response to Savini airing the video was not to say, oh my God, we're shocked that this video was uh, this, it displays this horrific violation of Anjanette Young's rights. No, their response was, how dare you violate the judge's order not to release the video? We're going to have sanctions against you. <laughs> what a city. Chicago, it's like a warm, lovely, loving town that really cares about its people. <laughs> and it's so perfect. Shut up. We're going to take your car. We're going to throw you in jail. What a so, city. So we, we jaded longtime journalists can can see this sort of thing happening, history repeating itself over and yes. over again. And it's interesting, Dennis, we're going to do report next. It's interesting, I think, to look at it from a perspective of someone new to the city, but is thrust into, right into the middle of it. And the person I'm talking about is the police superintendent, David Brown, mm-hmm. who started on the job less than a year ago. And the spin we're going to hear next is, Brown talking about what happened after the raid, the Anjanette Young uh, home raid. And we'll hear Northside Alderman Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez of the 33rd Ward and the Northside's Harry Osterman of the 48th Ward question Superintendent Brown, and let's listen. Alderman Rodriguez Sanchez. CPD policy requires department members to report misconduct by other members. Did that occur in this case? No, we don't have any evidence of a other complaints from officers of that particular search warrant within CPD. Alderman Osterman. I'm interested in what happened after the raid. These officers went back and reported what happened to their supervisors at the district or the area level. What came of all of that? So this is the most frustrating part of the Chicago way of investigating misconduct. This gets forwarded to COPA for investigation. I'm not accustomed to that process of such delayed consequences for misconduct. I would love to be able to take immediate action on misconduct that I can identify through finding out the very thing you just asked. What did we do? When did we do it? And who was all involved? But unfortunately, and really frustrating to me, it's almost two years of delayed consequences for this behavior is beyond frustrating. It really is. I'm, I'm awaiting the conclusion of this investigation by COPA so that I can get all those questions answered. I would love to have a path for my staff to investigate. You know, obviously I have to live with the distrust that comes out of these videos being released without any opportunity or any path or any procedure for my involvement with COPA's investigation. And perhaps a little history is relevant here, Ben. This agency, COPA, is the successor agency to another, quote, independent, unquote, investigating agency, the Independent Police Review Authority, which was something that was created by the second Mayor Daley, Mayor Richard M. Daley, in response to, I think, the fact that investigations of police misconduct were done within the police department. And that was that was viewed as not best practice. Mm -hmm. So here we have coming full circle, we have Superintendent Brown saying, 
well, you know, my hands are tight in terms of discipline or, or doing something internally because I don't have responsibility for this investigation. I can't do nothing until that investigation is complete. Well, let me just point something else out. Police are being thrown under the bus here. And uh, I have no idea. Brown, I think, is from Houston. I have no idea what Dallas. they do in Houston. Dallas, okay. Houston, Dallas, what's the difference? Uh, <laughs> All those Texans are going to be sending messages, right? Dennis, I can see him coming in right this moment. It's just Texas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I have no idea how they do it in Dallas, okay? I don't know how they do it in New York or Atlanta or Cleveland or San Francisco, et cetera. I do know this. If the city of Chicago cared about what happened to uh, Anjanette Young, they had plenty of evidence that there was mistreatment. They have plenty of evidence that there was abuse. Mayor Lori Lightfoot herself knew about it in November of 2019. All right. She was told about it. They had conference about it before that. It could have been like her first week in office when they call in the police, all the different cabinet chiefs. Like, what are the outstanding issues we should worry about? Well, uh, Madam Mayor, there's this issue about this horrific raid. She could have known about it. She did know about it. And the city did nothing about it. So. They're throwing, they want to throw Cope under a bus. They want to throw police officers under a bus. They knew about it. And they fought like hell to keep Savini from publicizing it. So we'd still be in the dark about it. It'd still be Anjanette Young's word against everybody else's. Arguably. <laughs> I tell you Sorry. what, youngsters, that's how you do it. You want to make a star of journalism, you go allegedly, arguably. Reportedly. Reportedly. <laughs> But uh, they fought like hell to keep, keep Savini from putting that out there. And now that he has, it took a couple days, but Mayor Lori Lightfoot has had a magical transformation. And she's outraged. And heads will roll. She wants to know why she didn't do anything about this, even though she knew about it. She wants an investigation. She's got a federal judge right now. And Claire Williams, former federal judge with Dave Jones Law Firm. Uh, Dave Claw, that's his favorite law firm. They defended Donald Trump's right to be on the ballot. Uh, she's got a federal, former federal judge investigating what she knew and when she knew it. And as soon as uh, Ann Claire Williams comes out with the report, Lori Life will be able to tell us, Dave Klohatz, what she, Lori Lightfoot, knew, and when did she, Lori Lightfoot, know it? Unless we're still waiting for the results of the investigation from COPA and the Office of the Inspector General. At which point... Uh, They'll say, oh, we, have, or we can't release this till we get those other investigations. You know, you know what? It's, it's true. And so I'm just wondering something. Anne Claire Williams, this federal judge, is basically going to do an investigation of what's in Lori Lightfoot's brain. Will she have to file a FOIA request for that? I want to see what's in your brain. Why didn't you act on November 19th when they told you about this? And because uh, Judge Williams is not part of any city agency, the stuff that she does is not FOIAble. In other words, oh, the <laughs> Information Act request is not valid for uh, city agency. What a joke. Remember Mayor Rahm's lawsuit? Then everybody's forgotten that. I forgot completely when mayors get 
but something has to be done about this. Uh, Mayor Rahm, he filed a lawsuit to try to force Jesse Smollett to pay back all the money that the police department spent investing. I wonder what ever happened to that lawsuit. Got a lot of press for him. Well, as, long as, we're, as long as we're naming things, we're wondering what happened to. What about the uh, the police hanging out in Alderman Bobby Rush, um, Congressman oh. Bobby Rush's campaign office? We're still waiting. To, like, well, what's, you, what's that investigation? As you know. That's called Popcorn Gate uh, on the Ben Jarofsky show because they were eating popcorn in that office. And I believe that was what number was that D in our top 10 stories of the year? I'm trying seven? to th- I'm trying to think of which one that was. We had a few. Uh, I think no, it was seven. I know it? number one was mixed message gate. Number 10. Oh, it was number eight. Number eight. <laughs> <laughs> So we still don't know what happened there. No, we don't. It's like, we're going to get to the bottom of that. Yeah, we're get to the bottom conference. of it. Yeah. That's a long bottom. Uh, which, <laughs> what do you think we'll get to the bottom? We uh, Popcorn gate or what's in Lori Lightfoot's brain gate? Which one will we get to the bottom of? Well, first? you know, there's all sorts of things in play, right? There's a whole bunch of investigations going on that we haven't heard the result of. But then yes. that's all I've got for uh, the December uh, sessions of the Chicago City Council. Well, I wouldn't put it that way. I wouldn't say that's all I got. Like, that wasn't enough. That was great stuff. Studio audience, can we have a round of applause for young Dave Kloatz, please? Yay. That was an outstanding job, as always, man. His name is Dave Kloatz. And before you walk out that door, like Gloria Gaynor, tell absolutely, it's all the information people need to know to follow the good work that you do, Dave. If you'd like to hear more investigations of, the, of this sort or information about Chicago City Council and other aspects of Chicago government, you can find it at the Inside Chicago Government website. That's shygov.com. On Facebook, that's facebook.com slash insidegov. That's inside G-O-V. And on Twitter, you can follow at C-H-I-G-O-V-T. Also, there'll be more audio from these two city council sessions available on my podcast for um, uh, December of 2020. Very good, Dave Clawett. Excellent job as always. Uh, and uh, one day we'll have to bring back uh, a Mr. Bike segment, uh, probably. Uh, by the way, I just have to say something that you are right. I was just quoting you to my wife because I do, uh, as you know, I do walking at night. And uh, that was you I saw. Yeah, <laughs> it was me. <laughs> it's one guy. Just one guy, and every now and then there's a dog walker, but it's mostly me. He thought it was a polar bear at first. Yes, yeah, oh God, I haven't seen the sun in about 20 years. Anyway, I, I follow your advice, and this is something that Dave told me many years ago, that in, even in Chicago where it snows and it's icy, we have terrible winters, uh, the streets are probably the safest place to ride a bike because they're so warm, there's so much salt put on them uh, that uh, the ice and snow melts. We haven't had a whole bunch of ice or snow, but I've been walking, I've been following your advice, and at night I walk down the streets. I go... Uh, if the if the I go down I walk down one way street so if the traffic goes north I walk south on that street and uh, it is remarkably free of ice so one more time Dave Glowatz knows bicycling in the city of Chicago it's the, the five to one rule for every one snowflake that falls on major streets the city throws five grains of salt on it. Yes, and that also protects pedestrians like myself. All right, Dave Kloatz, thank you very much. We'll bring you back uh, next, I guess it'll be uh, in February, to discuss what goes down at the January meeting, correct? The next meeting of the Chicago City Council is January 27th, so quite a ways on. Quite a ways on. All right, hop, hop, hop. 
do some sit-ups and get ready for that meeting, all right? Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. It's always a blast. That's great. Dave Glowatz, uh, inside Chicago government, doing an outstanding job, as he always does. D, you got any updates before we head out that door? And you don't have to do sit-ups. You can just, you oh. know, just get that audio and come on board. No workout <laughs> required. Uh, he's right now doing some push-ups, D. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, he was talking about snowflakes, had a snowflake update. I was thinking, uh, what? Snowflake? When he was talking about actual snowflakes, not like, you know. Yes, not actually. Not the... Uh... Uh, wimpy liberal snowflakes. <laughs> yes. Although I would argue that the conservatives are bigger snowflakes than liberals. Oh, yeah. I, you may have a point there, especially uh, these last uh, this last month and a half or so after the election. Ooh, looking a little snowflakey there, uh, right wingers. Just saying. Yeah, you really are. We must. We let us win. <laughs> you were talking about uh, Rahm Emanuel and that lawsuit that was going down. And you forgot to mention that other lawsuit. He had a lawsuit going on with uh, a uh, bicycle company, didn't he? Because I remember he took that big, long bike ride. How many miles was that again? Nearly a thousand miles. Oh, yeah. Where did you go? <laughs> I just biked around Lake Michigan. Oh, yeah. But he was suing a bike company. Gave him a little chafing. Got a little chafing on one of those bikes. <laughs> oh, that's just a joke, ladies and gentlemen. He wasn't really suing a bike company. It was yeah. a good joke. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you let everybody know that was a joke. Uh, you know. Uh, but hey, that's our show for today. Uh, make sure to check out. We have the uh, the CTU and uh, Chicago Principals Association press conference posted on our Facebook page. We played just a little bit of Troy LaRavier, and uh, there was more from Stacey Davis Gates as well. Troy gave one hell of a speech. Uh, we played a bit of it, and there's so much more of it. Go check it out on our Facebook page, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Uh, you can send us an email, by the way, too. Uh, let us know what you thought of that speech, or you can just say hey or happy new year, whatever you want to do. Benny J Show at gmail.com. And yeah, guys, we still got a phone number. What? You got something you want to say? I was just going to say, yeah, uh, Babs, I hadn't heard from him in a while. Yeah. One of our listeners, Babs, he brought a very funny thing uh, on Facebook. Did you see that thing about he deciphered a song? Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> no, I reached out to Bab because I, I was wondering about old Babbers, and I reached out to him, and apparently he got the hell out of Chicago. Now he's uh, in California. Man, but he still like, apparently still listens to the show because he uh, he he took the deep dive of deciphering Ben Jarofsky. I was trying to figure, remember a song, and I could just had bits and pieces of the lyrics. And apparently, Bab has been listening to me for so long, like. Took a trip. No, I always talk about taking a trip into MAGA's brain or Donald Trump's brain. He took a trip into my brain. Uh oh, there's a piece of pizza going around that one. Oh, there's a cinnamon bagel. Oh, I'm gonna go around that one. Oh, a lot of fried chicken in this room. And then he discovers true <laughs> funny stuff on that. Uh, I gotta give you credit, Babs. I was laughing out loud. Guys, we encourage all of you, every single one of you listening, to be like Babs and become oddly obsessed with this program. Okay, so much uh, content for you to. To download at the Chicago Reader website and wherever you download your favorite podcast. Over 800 episodes of this program, all right? And we're going to keep on going, all right, in 2021. Check it out, chicagoreader.com, wherever you download podcasts. If you're downloading and listening, check us out on the live stream sometime, Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at the Chicago Reader YouTube channel. Join the live stream chat if you dare and uh, join us. Uh, we always encourage it. And by the way, yes, we do have a phone number and we yeah, you can call us if you want. If that's your thing, leave us a voicemail, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708 <laughs> It's very nice to see you, by the way, on uh, on this camera, Ben, I must say. Uh, Good-looking guy, huh? Yeah, it's really nice. Oh, now sit up straight. Okay. And uh, 708-658. No slouching, no congregating. Uh, 
708-658-4788. Call us. Okay, we're done. We will take your car. All right, I want to thank Dave Glass. We're not going to take your car. <laughs> oh, well, you're a nice mayor. Uh, I want to thank Dave Glass. I'll say the job as he always does. Really good stuff is City Council reports. Mr. City Council, uh, as we call him. And, of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy, Altman Loy. Uh, and as Stacey Davis-Gates, Troy LaRavier, and Lori Lightfoot will tell you, back home at all, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Nearly a thousand miles. I just biked around Lake Michigan. Nearly a thousand miles. I just biked around Lake Michigan. Nearly a thousand miles. Just biked around Lake Michigan. Nearly a thousand miles. I just biked around Lake Michigan.